And so I really had a passion, you know, to to reach out to them uh, and and kind of demonstrate what a, a Christian family is. Uh, either inviting them over to our house or uh, eating dinners and lunches and different things like that. Now, having said that, I was by no means a perfect child uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I did learn how to play the church game early on. Uh, when I was in about third or fourth grade, I started noticing that when the, the pastor would say, all God's people said, that's right, see, y'all, y'all been in church, y'all know that. And I picked up on that when I was, you know, 10 or 11. And so one day I was in Sunday school and I grew up in Ridgecrest. You know, it was a good size uh, church. We probably had, I don't know, a thousand or whatever on Sundays. And so we had a you know decent sized third and fourth grade class. The teacher prayed and I said, and all God's people said, and all my friends said, amen. And I thought, well, that was kind of fun. Let's do that again. And so I grew up Sundays and Wednesdays. Every, every time the doors were open, I was in church. Uh, pretty much. And and having the father and mother that I did, they did something that I realized not too many families even do today. We would have, uh, we would pray together and we would read, you know, my dad would read, you know, a passage in the Bible or something like that. And so that and my mom's prayers uh, kept me out of so much. You know, I always say that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, but having grown up in, in, in church and not committing any quote unquote of the big sins. And I, I thought I was saved. You know, well, I'm not like so and so. You know, I'm not out doing this or I'm not out doing that, but I still sinned. I knew that. But I always compared myself to somebody else instead of the light of scripture or in, to with Jesus. And that was always what I did. And people kind of said, well, you don't have stand because he's not going to go out drinking or, or doing all these other things. And so when I went to a church camp when I was 16 years old, um, it was at Lake Forest Ranch in Macon, Mississippi. Uh, they had the, you know, a typical bonfire, campfire service. And I felt God was calling me into ministry as well as salvation. And I was like, well, I'm already saved. I, I think God's calling me into ministry. And so when I was 16, I was called into ministry. I ignored the call to salvation because I based my salvation on who I was in the church or who my parents were or I didn't do any, you know, big sins or something like that. And then it wasn't until three years later when I was 19 at a revival service sitting on the second row that I got saved. And I want to tell you the rest of that, you know, when we get into this because it's the passage that I read during the revival service when I wasn't paying attention to the preacher. So I hope y'all don't do that, but... I read it and then I got convicted. But I want to look at something in Matthew 7. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will come to me and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles? I then will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he'll be like the foolish man built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. There are two gates that is mentioned here. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preached. And if you've ever take the time and just read through the Sermon on the Mount, it'll probably take you 15 minutes. And so that's why I try to keep my message at 15 minutes to 20 minutes. Good enough for Jesus is good enough for me. <laughs> but he comes to the point, and all along, when you go back and look at chapter 5, and, and he says, you have heard it said this, but I say this. He was correcting their thinking on what they understood. You know, even when it comes to the Ten Commandments, you have heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder already. You have heard it say, don't commit adultery. But if you've lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. He's talking about the intent of the law. And so he's going through and correcting all these things, and then he gets to this. He gets to the, the, the culmination of it right here. He said there are two gates. One's narrow, the other one's pretty broad. One is easy and popular. The large crowd would usually go there. You can do whatever you want, believe whatever you want. may not seem like it at first, but the end is always destruction. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of today. That's what I'm hearing in different churches who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to teach the Bible, but yet their teachings deny what the Bible actually says because they just want acceptance. They just want to have a large crowd. They just want to be light. It's not a popularity contest. It's about being right before God. And so he focuses on that. He said, no, there's two gates. You choose. One's going to be very popular. You're going to see some of your family and friends go down there. The other one is narrow, and it's going to cost you. It is more difficult. It is less desirable at first. It is strict in obedience, demands full self-denial. can be lonely and very costly. You have to give up everything. But in the end, you will have peace. You will have fulfillment. And you will experience what true love is all about. And if you think about it, God's people have always been small, have always been a remnant. Right? The few. That's what he focuses on. There are many other nations that God could have chose, but he chose Israel. Israel's about the size of New Jersey. It's not a very big country. But God says, you know what? That's The Jews are my people. That's the one I fulfill my promise through, through Abraham. And that's what he's done. Jesus did say that the narrow would be difficult. He said, you want to follow me? I'm homeless. You want to follow me? You will be persecuted. Do you want to follow me? You must choose. But one thing is certain. 
You can't walk down both roads. You will choose one of the roads to go down. Then look at the next verse in 15 through 20. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly there are ravenous wolves. He's telling them to watch out for these. And how does he tell them? How does he warn them? He said, look at their fruit. Look at who, not just what they say, but what they produce in their life. That's going to tell you who they really are. Is it really about Jesus? Is it really about God? Or is it more of a popularity contest with them? Is it more about, oh, I got this, I'm going to hold this over you, which is what the Pharisees were doing. They were making the laws burdensome for the people, so oh, they looked up to the Pharisees. You don't break any of these laws? Man, you're better than me. But notice this, it says, you know what? They're wolves, but they dress like sheep. And that's something that I want to challenge each and every person to do. Don't just listen to what they say, but watch what they do. And the only way you know if it's true or not is you've got to filter everything through God's word. This is truth, okay? Anybody can come up here, preach a great sermon, and get a large crowd, but are they preaching the truth? You've got to know that. You've got to walk away and go, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure about this. Not in a very argumentative, I'm better than you type thing, but in more of, that's, that's not how I read scripture. Because some people think, you know what? Hell doesn't really exist. That's the popular one as of late. In the end, God's love wins. Everybody goes to heaven. Well, who doesn't want to hear that? Is that what the Bible says? Then you're going to know. Where does it say that? Then that's on you now. You've got to be able to study and know God's word in order to discern what is false, what is inaccurate. And thank God we also have the Spirit living inside us to say, wait a minute, that's not what I said. So we have the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. You'll know the heart of God. You'll know the mind of God. But he said you've got to beware of these false prophets, their false lifestyle, that can produce fruit that looks good, but the inside is very rotten. Their fruit will never last. Okay? That's another way that I think you can determine if somebody is truly from God or not. Their ministry or their life is more about themselves, about what they do, as opposed to just being a humble servant of God. And the other thing is, and this is, Jesus mentions this throughout Scripture, they desire man's praise more than God's. They'd rather have the acclamations that man give them. Oh, you're this great whatever, you're this great teacher, this great prophet, this great leader, this great whatever, that's what they desire. Not just being a humble servant behind the scenes or pointing everybody towards Jesus, pointing everybody towards Scripture, pointing everybody towards God. It's all about them and what they want and what they can experience and give to you. They've never experienced a life-changing encounter with Christ until it's too late. Also, many times, false teachers will come, and this is the thing, they will come from among us. They will come from our churches, our congregations, our denomination. They will come from among us. And it's not me that believes that. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. 
so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. And Jesus experienced that himself, didn't he? With Judas. Judas was one of the twelve disciples. Judas was one of the close-knit in his own group. And he betrayed him. But understand this. Judas fooled everybody but Jesus. Every single person was fooled but Jesus. Then I want you to look at verses 24 through 27. There are two builders in here. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to the wise man who built his house on the rock. There are two builders. Both builders desire to do a good thing, to build a house. They want to provide shelter probably for their family. They want to provide comfort for their family. Both houses probably look good on the outside, probably comparable on the outside. And listen, both builders experience trials and tribulations, just like us. If you're a Christian, you think it's going to be an easy road, you have not read the Bible. Jesus said it's not going to be an easy road. It's going to be a difficult road, but I'll be with you. He said he would never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That's what I cling to. Is it possible that somebody could leave me? Is it possible that a husband or wife could leave? Yeah, it is within that possibility, but it is impossible for God to deny himself. And God says, I will never leave you. And I claim that promise. God, you said you would never leave me, and that's what I'm holding on to. There are two builders who desire to do a good thing, right? One had a good foundation, and the other one did not. And sometimes we want to look at this, uh, this is trials and tribulations in life, which it could be. Jesus doesn't really explain it, but it also could be referring to God's judgment. Follow me here. You said you got two roads. That's the point of salvation. You're going to follow me or not? You have two trees. You got good fruit and bad fruit. You got a decision that you've made, and now what is your life producing? And now we come to the end. We come to the judgment time. We come to all the stuff. What has held up and what you built on your foundation? Is it going to stand the test of time? Is it going to stand God's judgment? You can look at 1 Corinthians 3 and we, it says, you know what? Some of these things are going to be burned up because it's made of wood, hay, and straw. You built it for yourself. You did things for selfish ambitions. You didn't follow me. Could it be that? Possibly. But I want you to notice something on here. Look at what Jesus actually says. And this is vital. He who hears these words of mine and acts on it. I sat in so many church services. I've listened to a lot of good preachers growing up. I've heard a lot of good sermons. It never changed me. I heard it, but I didn't act on it. I did not act on what the scripture said. I did what I wanted to do because I thought I could please people. Even in James, uh, Jesus' half-brother, when you look at what he says, in James 1.22, it says, he who, he who hears these words of mine and acts on them. This person is a wise according to Jesus. In James 1.22, it says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. The foolish one heard the words of Jesus, and that's all he did. He just heard them. He didn't act on it. He just listened. 
He sat there quietly, peacefully. He said, well, that's nice. But Jesus, you don't know what I got to do next week or next month or even tomorrow. Jesus, you don't understand what I got to do to close a business deal. You don't understand what my work is like or my home home life is like. Jesus, you just don't understand, but that's nice. Thank you so much, man. That's a good sermon. And you walk out the doors never changed because you're not acting on what Jesus said to do. So let me ask you a simple question. I got I got two children that I'm very proud of. And I, if I tell one of them, there's three bags of garbage. And I tell them, hey, take the garbage out, please. And they take one bag out. And they leave the other two. Did they obey me? No. You see, partial obedience is still disobedience. It's the same thing with God. You've heard the words, but did you obey me? Did you make disciples? Did you witness? Did you tithe? Did you do whatever that Jesus commands us to do? You can't say, well, I'm not talented as a teacher. He didn't say to you to be talented as a teacher. He just said make disciples. He said, well, I I don't know everything as far as witnessing and things like that. He didn't say you have to know everything. Just tell him about your love for me. Your job is not to win anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is just to tell. Your job is just to go out. That's what he wants you to do. Well, I'll get fired. You don't think God can find you another job? Is God worth losing your job over? Because he sure sacrificed his son for you. Did you pray for that job before you went and got it? If you did, great. That's to say that God can't provide something else, something better. But I think it's more important you are obedient to what God says and not just listen and say, that's good for somebody else, not for me. Then examine your heart. Are you really a believer? Are you really a follower of Christ or do you just enjoy the grace and mercy that's preached about? You see, the foolish one heard the words. He did everything just like the one who built his house on the solid foundation. But when the storms came and when judgment came, he had nothing left. He just listened. What do you think happened if every single person in this church or in churches in, in Madison and Huntsville, if every single Christian today just said, I'm going to be obedient on everything that God says, I'm going to tell you, revival would happen in the United States. I can tell you that for a fact. But so many times we just want to be comfortable in who we are. We say, well, I'll go to church on Sunday, maybe on Wednesday, Sunday night, but everything else, God. Then you're not really devoted to him, are you? What if I tell my wife, you know what, baby, I'm going to be devoted to you every day of the week but Saturday. Do you think I'd stay married very long? But isn't that what we do with God sometimes? God, I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I want to do all these things you But I just don't want to do this. Then it's still partial obedience, which is still disobedience in my eyes. Here comes the verse that saved me as, as a 19-year-old. Look at verse 21 through 23. 21 through 23. And Jesus said, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. It is not by words that we're saved. It is by obedience. 
Let me tell you that again. It is not by your words that you're saved. It is by obedience. This is what Jesus says. I was under the impression when I was a kid, well, I said a prayer, but that's all I did. I said a prayer. It never changed me. I couldn't explain to you all the, you know, the, the theological terms at the time or whatever, but I knew when I was 19, I knew I needed to be saved. I knew I would go to hell. I knew that. God knew that. And that's what he convicted me of. It's not by words, but obedience to God's will. And what is God's will? The first thing you got to do is humble yourself and repent. That's God's will for each and every person. The Bible says that God wishes that none would perish, that all would come to repentance, that all would be saved. But we go back to the roads. It's your choice. Which road are you going to choose? Be obedient to what God's word says. You have to know what God's word says. You can't just focus on so much of a preacher or listen to a podcast and think, okay, I'll do that. you got to get into God's word because God's word says it will never come back void. God's word will point you always to Jesus. I don't care where you read in scripture. It's going to point you to Jesus. And don't just take somebody's word for it. They can be wrong. Intentionally or not, it's not the issue. They can be wrong. I can be wrong at any given time. You got to filter what anybody says through God's word. This is the only truth that we have in our world today. This is a hundred percent truth. Science has changed throughout time, has it not? They used to say the world was flat, the world's center of the solar system. That's changed. God's word has it. Look at what God's word has to say and then be obedient to it. Pray and ask God to reveal to you the truth of his word to help you apply it to your life. But you got to be humble. Because James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 22. It says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles? They were basing it on religious activities. They were basing it on them being a good preacher. They were basing it on activities that can be seen by man. They were not basing it on them being obedient to what Jesus said. And that's what convicted me. I never drank, smoked, chewed, and hung out with women who do or anything like that. I was a sinner going to hell who was a church member at Rich Chris Baptist Church. That was me. So my passion has always been for people in church because I knew I wasn't the only one sitting in pews week after week not saved. Because I started reading the Bible and I started going, well, wait a minute. If if 12 men experienced the Holy Spirit like the day of Pentecost and they went out and changed the world and we have a church of a thousand and we don't want people to go out and just witness, well, something's not right. That doesn't look like the book of Acts to me at all. So what's going on? Is it that we're comfortable enough? Is it that we're so comfortable in our lifestyle that we don't need the great comforter? That we're not relying on the Holy Spirit for anything? That we're not relying on God? We're not stepping out on faith for anything? We're just trying to do what's comfortable to us and nice and neat so that we don't have to get 
too uncomfortable in our life. You see, even religious activities are not proof of salvation. They are not. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Judas walked with the other disciples. He probably did some amazing things. He probably did. He fooled everyone in thinking he was a good guy. And if you go back and read the, about the Last Supper, even when Jesus said, it's who I gave this piece of bread to, Judas got up and left, and the disciples thought he was giving money to the poor. Because they had this preconceived notion in their mind, despite what Jesus just said, they said, well, that can't be true. Examine your own heart. Examine your own life. You fooled your husband, your wife, your family, your preacher, whatever. But what about God? What would God say to you? They want to do their own will. They want to do their own activities instead of God. You will know them by their fruit. You know, I had a, uh, there was a pastor, we, I did a mission trip one time, and we were going to Israel, and which I just love. I love Israel, man, it, it is a great time. And I worked at a little, we did a little camp for, you know, students. And 90, I think it's 95, 98% of the people there were Arabs or Muslims. And the camp was promoted as a Christian camp. They said, look, we're going to tell them about Jesus. We're going to tell them about the Bible. And the parents couldn't care less. They were just a religious and name only. And so when we went there, you know, we, I got to share a couple of times and, and it was just an incredible experience. And we had the opportunity to go back. And so we talked to one of the pastors and, you know, some of the other things we did, we done, we, we get to clean, you know, the floors and because it was, they had just one building that we did everything in. So if it was lunchtime, we got to set, you know, put the chairs and tables out. And then, you know, when it was up, they had arts and crafts and so we had to pick everything up. And, you know, it's just one of those little things that you do at camp. That's all I know. And the pastor said, well, I'm not the one I want to go. I go, why? He said, well, that's not my calling. He said, if they want me to speak, I'll go. I was like, I don't want you to go now. Sorry I asked you. I said, that's your mindset? Okay. You're missing out on a blessing, that's for sure. But it was more about him speaking. He said, well, I don't have the gift of servanthood. Jesus was a servant. Every Christian should be a servant. But I want you to look at this verse 23. Look at verse 23. He says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know you. These people claim to know Jesus. And Jesus did not know them. I can't think of a more sad verse in all of Scripture. They are under the pretense that they're going to heaven because of their religious activities. And Jesus is going to look at them and says, I don't know you. I want you to stop and think what that moment would be like if it was you. These people looked and acted just like a typical church member, Christian. They can fool everywhere, everybody, including themselves, into believing they're going to heaven because they're not as bad as Hitler. They're not as bad as Charles Manson or, or whatever else. But they've never repented of their sin. They've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is going to look at them in the eyes and say, I don't know you. Now here's the thing. They were more concerned 
about everything else under the sun than having a personal relationship with Jesus. They were concerned about how they looked to their family, their friends. They were more concerned about doing activities to be seen by men instead of God. There are two ways to examine the cost of your profession of faith. You choose on that road. You choose by the fruit that you will bear. Because I know this, as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, which is the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. And if you're not producing good fruit, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Are you being obedient? You see, on that day, it was in April, I sat on the second row of that church in a revival on a Tuesday night, and I read that passage. I thought, man, that's, that can't be me. I read it again. And each time I read it, I would get more and more convicted. And I said, well, wait a minute. You know, my dad's this, my mom's this, I did this. God, I got called in the ministry. He said, but you didn't listen to the call of salvation first. And so, on the second pew, when the invitation was given, I did the exact same thing that you hear about. When I was talking to God, to God, if you really want me to get saved, let them play another song, another stanza. And if you've ever been to a Baptist revival service, they're going to play another stanza. And I said, God, if somebody comes down, uh, comes down to pray, I'll go down. The money came down. <laughs> I said, well, that's revival. Everybody's getting right with you, God. And I'm standing here telling you the stupidest thing I could think of was next. I was standing there, and I, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I'm literally have a death grip on the pew in front of me. I said, if my girlfriend touches my hand, God, I know it's from you. And no sooner had I prayed it that she touched my hand and I knocked her out of the way to go down and get saved right then. I said, I'm done playing games. God, if I'm this convicted, it's got to be from you, and I know I'm not saved. I know I would go to hell. My parents thought I was saved. My friends thought I was saved. Everybody. But that day, when I read, when Jesus said, I will look at them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice sin. And it's not just me. Every church, there's somebody that can claim to that same fact. It may be you. It may be a family member. It's maybe not even here. Whatever it is. But my question to you is this. What will Jesus say to you when you die and stand before him? And then how confident are you in that answer? Let's pray.